talking about climate is hard. It's complicated. Climate grief can be paralyzing and optimism can feel fake. The Climate One podcast delivers empowering conversations that deepens your understanding of the climate crisis and its impact on everything. Every week, co-hosts Greg Dalton and Ariana Brochers dive deep on the failures of capitalism, environmental racism, the emotional trauma of fires and floods, and of course, the politics of it all. In a world littered with disinformation, Climate One has earned a reputation as one of the most credible resources on climate disruption. Climate One is available wherever you get your podcasts, with new episodes dropping every Friday. Subscribe to Climate One today. Now back to the coolest show. This is The Coolest Show, brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show, you know, keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show, you know, in your ear, yeah, respect the expert level, information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show, you know, it's the Hip Hop Caucus. Hey everybody, this is Rev Ewitt here at your award-winning Coolest Show podcast. And I am so glad to have with me a dear friend and someone who is just leading in so many areas of the movement. She is Dr. Jalan White Newsom. My sister, how are you doing? Listen, I woke up this morning and I'm in my right mind, so I am good. And I'm just so glad to be here and share a little bit of time with you. Oh, man. Wait wait a minute. You can't start with the scriptures now. You know, I get excited. Woke up in my... Come on now. You know, that's what... Come on. It's Friday. You can't start with that now. You know, that's the best part. It is Friday. Yes. It is Friday. And you know what, though? The, the, for all the young folks, let me tell y'all something. No matter what you do, if you got something you can pull on beside yourself mm-hmm. and you can think about how good that... The Almighty has been to you and what you've been through. You'd be smiling just like Dr. Jalan White Newsom. Yeah. Because, you know, she's over there working, doing doing good stuff. Trying. So I don't see you, I don't see you with your I don't see you with your Detroit versus everyone T-shirt on today. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's over there in the pile. I, I had to actually go talk to my daughter's school this morning. And so, you know, uh, I had to to try and show up in a professional way and, and, and motivate folks, uh, young people to just in, in public health uh, to, to really think about what they're going to do beyond high school and how they're going to serve. So, you know, I keep it in my car, but, you know, and I had to, to dress up for you as well. So, um, you know, it's oh, there. Man, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we appreciate that. And we also know for folks who don't know, actually, Let's start there, actually. Who is Dr. Jalan White Newsom? Yeah, so, I mean, my goodness, I'm a native Detroiter. I am a daughter of Joseph White and Terry Lynn, both public servants uh, for most of their lives. My dad is gone now, but he did great work. My mom is still here. And so, um, really, my orientation comes from my family and how I was brought up. And it was always 
this thing of making sure that the folks that were invisible, that didn't have a voice, that needed support uh, and a second chance to not only support themselves, but their family and their community, that it was our job um, in many ways to, to make that happen for folks when they, they couldn't. And so I think that made me and continues to drive the work that I do today, whether it is my personal advocacy or the work that I'm doing at the White House now. So that is me as a person. And I would say that that has really, you know, in many ways, you know, set the stage for what I'm trying to do as the first federal chief environmental justice officer at the White House Council on Environmental Quality. Um, an extreme wow. honor and privilege. Um, I didn't sign up for this. It was not in my 10 or 20 year plan, but I truly feel that life in many ways, like you have these opportunities and um, it sets you up to be in the place where you're supposed to be. And I feel like right now I've worked in private industry, mm. philanthropy, a researcher, teacher, state government, had all these different experiences that I'm hoping to bring those perspectives to, well, trying to bring those perspectives to the work that I'm doing. Um, so that is me in a nutshell. And um, again, this is not something I take lightly. So just privileged to, to be in a space to try and make some change. Well, I'm, I wanted to say to you that um, I have admired you. I've worked with you. Uh, I've seen you work, obviously, from both your, from outside the White House, obviously, um, to the academy, to the funding sector, to obviously inside the White House. And, and let me just say this for folks who are listening. Um, if you don't know who Dr. Jalon White Newsom is, one, you're going to get a little bit of a snippet in a second. We're going to talk about what's happening in EJ. Um, and so, but you may need to Google just to get her, just to get her whole story. But what I wanted to share with you is from my perspective is this. Um, she is someone who cares about everybody. Now, I mean everybody. I mean, mm -hmm. no matter who you are, what political stripe you have, where you live, she wants everybody to have clean air and clean water. She wants your children and your children's children to live longer. That's the person you're about to hear from. Mm -hmm. So I need you to understand that. So I just want to tell you that, my sister, that just thank you for what you've done um, for our movement. And just thank you for being you. Um, yeah. Now with that, let's get that. to some of this. I don't take that lightly coming No, well, I appreciate that. And now, now, I'm gonna have, now with that guy, I can get some of these hard questions, though. See, I, I, see that's how I lead it. I want to make sure that let's All right. All right. So let's. Let's 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 get it. These are not that hard, but the question I want to start off with is this: Now that environmental justice has been embedded in federal policy through a quote whole of government end quote strategy that includes Justice Forty and other programs, other other ways of doing the work within the federal government or and using federal policy. How does that impact the community yeah. um, in that aspect um, moving forward and particularly at government speed? Yeah. So so here's the cool thing. Um, 30 years ago is when the first executive order for environmental justice was signed by President Clinton. And I think I was in high school, a junior. And that was actually when I first learned about environmental justice. 
I was working at a chemical facility and uh, I was training to be a chemical engineer, trying to figure out what it was, but really started to ask questions about what the impact of this particular company was mm-hmm. on the broader community where we were manufacturing stuff, but also where we were sending stuff out. And I realized very quickly that low-income communities, communities of color, indigenous communities were in many ways not protected and getting the short end of the stick. So I realized that at the age of 16. And then I went back home to Detroit and just opened up my eyes <laughs> and saw that that stuff was happening in my backyard. Mm. And so when I think about where we were 30 years ago and where we are now, that yes, we still know that there are communities that wake up every morning to some of the same stuff, uh, not having clean air, not having basic places where they can live and thrive and grow and not afraid that their babies' babies are not going to, you know, develop illnesses and, and, and sometimes their life shortened um, when it's unnecessary. So those realities are still there. But I would say right now, 30 years later, we have an opportunity like we've never had before with this administration that has put environmental justice first. Um, We have a government that is now guided by a new executive order built on that old one, but Mm -hmm. that actually has, I would say, you know, a little bit more power to it in that it it, it actually defines what environmental justice is because we have never had a definition of environmental justice across the federal government. So, you know, if you don't define things, people can create their own definition and it might not achieve the same thing. So we have a definition, which is major. But we also have in this executive order some some methods of accountability. So agencies, all agencies, not just the Environmental Protection Agency, but all agencies have to build their stream of consciousness around environmental justice and say how they're going to act on it in strategic plans. At the Council on Environmental Quality, CEQ, we're going to be evaluating those plans. Um, That's never before happened. Um, There's so many other pieces to this new environmental justice executive order that I think are going to level us up, particularly in a government that can sometimes seem very slow on the outside. We are actually moving faster than we've ever moved on the inside. Now, sometimes Mm. folks can't see that, but know that this executive order and the way you utilize an executive order coming from the president is that you jumpstart and kickstart stuff that has been stuck. And so what I'm seeing is an energy by our federal partners that I've never seen before. Now, granted, not everybody knows how to move on EJ. And that's our job at CEQ to give them support, to help them, to show them, you know, kind of models and practices that make sense. But most importantly, make sure that they're connected to the communities that their policies and practices are influencing. Because, again, we cannot make policy in a bubble. We can't pretend that the Justice for the Initiative is going to be successful if we don't make sure that how we do it is informed by community and those folks that we want to benefit. So I would say that, you know, stuff is happening inside government probably faster than this ever happened. Um, and, you know, this is a time that, you know, we, we gosh, we don't have the luxury of time, <laughs> mm. but we are, I would say, very much committed to, um, again, not only at CEQ, but moving our executive office colleagues 
committed to supporting our agencies and advancing this broader agenda for environmental justice. And the EJEO is just one of those tools that is helping us do that. Mm. So, and thank you for that. That's That was very important how you laid that out. I want to actually take a step back, actually, because when you were talking, it made me think of um, this past year um, in regards to the um, disaster that happened in East Palestine, Ohio. And I was I went there along with the Hip Hop Caucus and other groups. I was actually there with Aaron Brockovich. Um, we were there for just a meeting with people. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away that one, when I went when I went there, um, to Ohio, people are people, right? They when they hurt and they hurting. And I was actually never hugged by so many people who were just so happy to see people and just there to help, right? I would just I was I was I was it was overwhelming for me actually just to be like, man, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm from Louisiana and you know, we going through it with petrochemicals, we're going through it with this and that. But here I am up in Ohio, um, you know, we did with vinyl, the vinyl chloride and many other situations. But this is the thing that I wanted to come to you because this is your office and this is where you sit. When I was there, the people did not know that they were an environmental justice community. They, they thought that environmental justice was just for black people. And in this predominantly mm. white community, predominantly Republican community, um, they had no idea mm-hmm. of this. And so it seems like the movement had siloed environmental justice to be seen as only for mm. people of color. And not for folks on the fence line mm. and on the front lines or in other types of sacrifice zones. And so what I'm I'm asking you is that what can be done? Because I think that has an impact. Because folks were going there, in essence, coming, just real talk, coming there saying that this administration, um, you know, doesn't care about this community. And I'm thinking that... And I told him, yeah, you are, you need environmental justice more than anybody. You need to be protected. You need to, you need to ensure you just, there's a cleanup. You need to make sure all these things are happening. How, how can you ensure that the administration can explain that it is fighting for every community, putting aside politics? And putting aside even the climate movement's narrative to kind of bastardize environmental mm-hmm. justice, what can you do from your position to help lift up the issue? Because in doing that, it will actually lift up the issues and the voices for other black and brown communities who are hurting, who don't get help because they think it's just a black and brown issue. But it's really an issue that can impact everyone. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think first and foremost, um, you know, any disaster in any community uh, that could potentially hurt people, regardless of what you look like, a zip code, how much you make at the end of the year, it is an issue that this administration cares about. And, you know, unfortunately, I think, you know, the I, I'm not going to speak to the movement in general. 
But what I will say is that this administration is committed to environmental justice. It's committed to equity. And I think education is a key. So that is the reason, for example, that we developed our climate and economic justice screening tool, or the CEGIS. It's a mapping tool that says, again, these communities uh, are dealing with a bunch of burdens. And this is why our administration is focused on making sure resources and intentional attention is paid to them. And so I think it's important from our standpoint at CEQ to make sure that folks know that, again, what environmental justice is, that it is not dependent solely on your race. Because we have brothers and sisters in Appalachia and and I'm from Ohio, like that are suffering just as much as others. And, and so that definition says that includes everybody that's su- suffering disproportionately, that is dealing with unfair health burdens, environmental burdens, et cetera. So we have to do a better job of, of educating and um, not only the broader public, but even, you know, our agency partners and friends where they are still learning what environmental justice really means and how and, and what their role should be in advancing that. So. Um, I appreciate you raising that and know that, again, we're committed to environmental justice and equity on all fronts for all people. Mm. I don't want you to ask you this question. This is just, this is Rev putting a, a, a pin here um, for those who are listening. And at the mm-hmm. same time, this is Rev now. If I'm into racism, is real. <laughs> and so uh, the, the fact that folks are targeting mm-hmm. black, brown, and indigenous people is a real thing. So I just wanted, that's a Rev adding into that question, but I do have a question back on what you just said. How will you know um, that you have made a positive impact across federal agencies? Mm. So there's a couple of ways and I think a couple of indicators. And again, I've been in the federal government all of almost a year and a half, maybe. Mm, wow. <laughs> so I'm still, I'm still learning, but um, I mean, it feels like a little bit longer, but um What I will say is that there's a couple of indicators that I see. One, that our agency partners are asking questions. Mm. Um, They are asking, what does this EJEO mean? How do I do this? Who do I talk to? Who am I not talking to from a community perspective? Um, So the fact that folks are asking questions and they want to know how they can actually change like this culture that has not helped everyone benefit, that is a huge indicator for me. Folks are asking the questions, which seems simple, but that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that through the executive order, um, the first executive order that President Biden signed on the first day, the White House Environmental Justice Interagency Council, better known as the IAC, was created. And this is I guess what you would call a place where all our federal agencies can come together and learn from each other about how they're advancing environmental justice, how they're institutionalizing policies that will make a difference, how they are collecting data that will tell the story that needs to be told. And so having an, an IAC, this body of agencies, which includes principal level, so those folks that are running the agencies, all the way down to career staff. So you got your highfalutin folks and your folks that like get their hands dirty and roll their sleeves up. 
this body is super powerful because they are connected around environmental justice to make sure that the work happens. And so um, one of the ways that I feel it's an indicator is that we are having increased, again, participation and attention from our agencies. Um, they are providing leadership on different work groups and committees within this structure. Um, they are showing up at our White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council meetings. So the WEJAC, which is a group of federally appointed EJ leaders from across the country, um, they are calling us to say, okay, I heard this, what can I do? So mm. those are a couple of indicators. But of course, you know, that that's stuff that I think is important, again, on the inside, right? But on the outside, I know folks are like, you know, am I seeing a difference? Am I seeing a change, you know, and so the indicators from community might be a little bit different than our indicators internally. And so what I will say is that on the outside, it, it you know, things aren't going to change overnight. But mm. what you should see is more intentional efforts to build relationship from our agencies. You should see more of our agencies showing up in your communities and listening, which is the the premise of our White House campaign for environmental justice, that we get out of our agencies, we go to communities that call us, and we listen, see whatever support in whatever way that they dictate. Mm. So my hope is that a couple of those internal things that are important for sustained change, as well as the external stuff that communities should see, more relationship building and engagement, whatever you want to call it, more resources getting to those places because of the Justice 40 initiative. They should see more transparency, which is through our environmental justice scorecard and just saying, okay, by agency, what are you doing? What are you trying to do? How are you measuring up? I mean, those are just some of the indicators that, again, I'm using to kind of track internal progress, but also externally. Mm. So I just have two more questions. Um, And so... My 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 question really is, you know, what what can CEQ do to provide the the backstops or the safeguards to ensure that the people's money coming from the federal government doesn't fall into the hands of polluters, particularly, you know, for me, petrochemical companies or anyone who falls into that ilk. So. You know, and just to be clear um, for the the audience, so the Council on Environmental Quality, because one thing I wasn't sure before I got here was what our role is. (laughs) So one of the things I want to make sure folks are clear about, we we don't have money, right? Um, What we do have and what I call CQ superpowers is that we have the opportunity to amplify the president's agenda. We have the Mm. opportunity to influence our agency partners. We have a platform Um, And we have this opportunity to convene. And so, and we have, again, executive orders in our toolbox. So while we don't distribute the money or really, I would say, directly influence the money, what we do is influence the folks like our agency partners that are giving out the money, that are deploying federal resources, grants, technical assistance, capacity building, whatever. And so what I see, again, as our superpower is to keep environmental justice as 
again, top of mind and not an afterthought for all these agencies that do have the dollars and cents. And so when I think about, again, what we're trying to do with this Justice 40 initiative, it is more than just a single pot of money. It is literally about changing a culture. And I like to say shifting the Titanic (laughs) in the way we are trying to do things in this administration. So, you know, that requires, for example, that we ask agencies to look at your notice of funding announcements or NOFOs. What are you saying in there that connects back to environmental justice, that connects back to the Justice 40 initiative, that makes whomever's applying say, hmm, is my community considered disadvantaged? Have I looked at the climate and economic justice screening tool to figure out where I'm at? And, you know, who is this? You know, you know, so it's like we're forcing like these mechanisms of environmental justice consciousness into the way agencies do business. And that's major because that's never happened. And so I think in the midst of trying to change this culture and, and, and really uh, shift the Titanic, we will hopefully see the benefits on the other side. Mm. And so our job at CEQ is to, in many ways, make sure that not only is the Justice for You initiative implemented and operationalized, but that on the other end, the communities that we want to benefit will. And so that is something that we are working hard with our agency partners and with our White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council members to really understand how we're going to capture, show, and get the data that folks will be able to really visualize and see now and in the long term what those benefits really look like. Um, so, so that is our job. And, and that is what we are trying to do, not only oper- operationalize the Justice for the Initiative, but make sure that all this work on the front end will change what people are feeling and hearing and seeing in their communities every day. So, um, and that's a tall task because you're talking about shifting government that has worked in one way for for decades. So it's not easy, but, you know, we're committed to it. So this is my last question for you. Um, Mm -hmm. I've known you for quite some time um, and thank you for all your responses. But I actually want this last response to be to your children. um, if if they hear this, and hopefully they will hear this, they will hear this. Um, what's the story or vision of the future you're fighting for? What do you want to see? What do you want your legacy to be? When all this is said and done, and they look back at the story of Dr. Jalan White Newsom, what do you want your children's children, children, to say about you? Yeah, that that's 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 a deep one because um, you know I I I took this job with their permission. So when I got the call, um, I didn't automatically say yes. I said I need to have a conversation with my family, and I asked my girls because that was going to require me to be away from them a couple weeks a month um, because I wasn't going to move them being in high school. Um, High school is already hard enough. 
And um, I said, listen, if, if, if you don't want me to do this, I won't, because I know this is, you know, this is this is a big time for both of you. And so what they told me is that, mom, you will be crazy not to take this job. This has been your dream. This has been your life's work. And we got the house. We got it on lock. That's what they told me. Well, actually, they said, we're going to take care of your dad. We'll be fine. So that comforted me in many ways as a mom, which is, my, you know, one of my main jobs. Mm-hmm. But also the fact that when I hear them talk about the work that I do, the fact that my little one says, my mom is trying to change the world. My mom is trying to make it better for people that look like me, my little brown babies. Um my mom is an environmental justice warrior. That, for me, is major. And so it's not only one showing them that they can do anything that they want and that if this little brown girl from Detroit can make it to the White House, they can do much more. But also the fact that, you know, when we're called to serve at whatever level, it is never about you. It is about what you can do for others. And so the legacy that I hope that they're gleaning from this is that whatever they decide to do in their lives, that it is about the folks that come after you. And so the decisions you make, the, the, the things you decide to do in your life, um, you know, it has that ripple effect. And so make sure you're thinking about that ripple effect as you decide what profession you want, who you associate with, how you spend your time and how you um, share your gifts with folks. So for me, this this vision of, gosh, just uh, the legacy of of giving back, paying it forward, thinking about the long run is is huge. And of course, the bigger vision is that, you know, I would love to not have to have this conversation about environmental injustice. Mm. I would love to be able to say that everybody is good. Everybody's air is clean. Everybody can drink their water. Everybody has access to what they need to have a productive life and take care of their family. I would love to not have this conversation 30 years from now. And I know that's that's probably a little bit of Pollyannish and a little bit big, but that that's that's what I'm thinking about. Like, how do we get there? How do we set ourselves up for that ultimate vision of environmental justice, that North Star that we all deserve? So... I would want, that is what I want. That's what I want, not only for my babies and my baby's babies, but for this world and why I decided to, you know, take this on. And so whatever little power I have, whatever little time I have, um, that that's the goal. Hmm. Thank you. And that's our guest today, Dr. Jalon White Newsom, Federal Chief Environmental Justice Officer of the White House Council on Environmental Quality. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Thank you so much, my sister. Thank you, Rev. Thank you for the work you're doing. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. 
Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.